G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. Well, good evening all. Tonight we have with us Tim Blackwell from South Australia, uh, ADA club man, deer hunter, chamois hunter. Hunted in Africa too. I'm not sure what he shot in Africa. And something in Africa, and taxidermist, and of course, uh, uh, Ian and myself. So, welcome on board, Tim. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, good to be with you. So, tonight, what we'd like to do is delve inside your vast experience and just get an idea of, of the kind of hunting you've done, and also particularly the hunting you've done in Africa, because I think a lot of people will find that pretty interesting, and also, you know, the kind of spearing off into taxidermy and how you got there and where you've yep. taken that so to get the ball rolling why don't you give us a rundown of, of you know your hunting i suppose life and how you got started and where it's taken you yeah cool no worries um so yeah like like most of us i guess i um started with dad um dad was never a big hunter but he he, he hunted small game and um my mum's family was from up in the Flinders country uh, in the mid-north of SA um, and had land and dad would go when I was young and hunt rabbits and, and foxes and whatever with them and and then uh, when I was only young we moved down to Narracourt in, in the southeast of SA um, and yeah he um, continued hunting down there and and yeah I went out and shot my first rabbits and, and foxes and stuff with dad with a 22 and that was that was hunting for dad you know uh, foxes was about as good as it got sort of thing and um yeah for me it was sort of i just yeah wanted more and bigger and better and yeah sort of as soon as i was old enough to drive and get a gun license you know i was off with my mates and um then it was all about um pigs and goats you know um and you know we'd go and do the trips to new south wales and take the motorbikes up and stay in the shearers huts and you know go and chase pigs and goats for a week at a time and um, so yeah, pretty typical, I think. That's probably how most of us sort of started. And then it wasn't until sort of kids came along that I, you know, had to look a bit closer to home. And at that stage, didn't even really realise, I think, that I lived in one of the best sort of deer hunting spots in Australia. And um, mm. so then, yeah, started deer hunting just really just to hunt closer to home. And um, and yeah, it all went from there. So pretty much it. It's a funny thing that, you know, so many people, and I'm one of them, you know, um, we used to travel 10 hours past deer country to go hunting pigs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, you know, you go, I'm, we're going hunting, so we go up in central Queensland, we drive to Emerald to hunt pigs, you know, and, and past red deer country, the whole lot. No one really knew they were there, and if you knew you, they nah. were there, you, you, were very, you, you played it very close to your chest. Yeah, 100%. And that, that was the case here, you know. I I had mates that I knew hunted deer sort of thing, but, 
you know, I, yeah, just I never thought it was a possibility, really, I suppose. And then, um, yeah, once I started yeah, deer hunting seriously, probably, oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, something like that, I suppose. And then, um, yeah, just never looked back. At, and then, yeah, from there, it's just been, yeah, I, I just want to hunt everything. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible affliction. Well, you're in a good country. You're in a good country for it. And I, I agree with this driving past however many, you know, thousands of kilometres of land that, you know, has got reasonable game on it just to get to game somewhere else in the country or on another part of the world. Um, I'm always, you know, I'll be one of those hunters that's always looking for the next overseas trip, you know, where, where we're going to yeah. go, who's coming with me this time, you know, that's going to fill the chopper up and, and you know, help me carve up the, the bill. And um, yep. and it's only during this COVID period that, you know, I've listened to a lot more podcasts and, and a bit more content. There is so much in this country that no other country's, yeah. you know, got a patch. I mean, Africa's got some pretty amazing stuff, but you know, buff up north and, and the various deer species that we've got and then there's, you know, donkeys and camels and all sorts of stuff that you can go chase. So, yeah, I think I've got a, a, a newfound passion for travelling this country to find the species that I want to want to chase. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, no, for sure, mate. There's there's a long list here. And I, I think a lot of Aussie hunters are sort of glass half empty type blokes because, you know, we're um, traditionally, a lot of Australians only sort of hunt for pest control. You know, there's that attitude that you know, unless you're killing a pest, you're not, you shouldn't be hunting, sort of thing. But um, I think people are starting to realise, you know, we have got it pretty good here, and you know, there's there's not a lot of really restrictions and bag limits and all that sort of stuff for a lot of species in a lot of places. So um, yeah, and there's a lot to chase. It's a big country, and yeah, like you, you know, I just I just love going to different places and seeing country that. If it wasn't for hunting, you'd never see that country. So, yeah, hundred percent. Well, before we move on to some of the really, um, you know, interesting stuff that you've done in your hunting life, um, we haven't covered South Australia yet on our podcast. We've talked about Victoria and New South Wales, and you know, we've been putting this podcast together to give Queenslanders who don't have public land access the, an understanding of what they can and can't do and where they can go. Give us a rundown on SA. What, what's it got to offer, and 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 what licenses and and permits and things you need to get to go down and chase your critters around um yeah so it's a bit of a unique sort of thing in that it's 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 private property only hunting down here so it's um yeah basically private land with written access um is is the only way really you can hunt down here um and then uh there is a uh, a basic hunting permit which which you get um through one of the government departments it's Oh, look, I think it's only 25 bucks a year or something like that. Uh, and by rights, to even go and spotlight a rabbit, um, you know, on private property, you should have a hunting permit. So anyone who hunts in SA needs a basic hunting permit. Um, and, uh, yeah, which kind of is a bit of a head-scratcher for me because, I mean, if you're hunting on your own private property or, you know, with a landowner or something like that, I don't know why you need, you know, government permission to do it, but that's... It's yeah, strange anomaly, but um, yeah, that that's the rules here. And unfortunately, you know, we do have some some big areas of um, public land that do have deer and and other game and that in them. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a political football trying to get access to them. I mean, a lot like probably what you're going through in Queensland. You know, um, I think hunters and the public could play a big role in in you know in helping control 
um, introduced species in those parks and that sort of stuff. And at the moment, the SA government sends over choppers every year and, and shoots thousands of deer. And, um, and you know, I think it just could be revenue positive instead of costing us taxpayers a fortune. But, you know, that's that's a massive, massive kettle of fish. Um, it is a there are people. Yeah, there are people, you know, fighting the good fight and, you know, I've been involved in a bit myself um, through ADA at a state level in the past, um, you know, in Adelaide for a lot of meetings and that sort of stuff, um, you know, meeting the government bureaucrats and whatever, trying to, uh, trying to pave the way. Um, and, you know, we have had some successes. We've had some control programs in, in um, public land here in SA that have been quite successful, but... Um, yeah, it, it's it's a slowly, slowly sort of approach, you know. So we're hopeful that you know, if we if we keep proving that you know we can do it and we can do it safely and get good results, that you know eventually it'll pave the way for for all hunters. So, um, but time will tell. That's there was, if I remember correctly, there's been quite a long goat cull program in the Flinders Ranges, hasn't there? Yeah, there has. Um, predominantly done through SSAA, from what right. I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's been quite long running. Um, and they have done some deer culls as well. Um, ADA have done some deer culls as well in parks um, and had some access as well um, to, to ground hunting parks and that sort of stuff. But um, And like I said, we're, we're actively negotiating for more. You know, ADA has a like SSAA, we have a memorandum of understanding with the with the state government here um, to work together on um, game management and pest control and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, fingers crossed that something can happen in the future, but, you know, it, it's a tough political football. Mm. With well, that too, by the way, is, is um, duck hunting also private only or is there public access to duck hunting? Uh Sort of duck hunting, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not a duck hunter at all. Um, yeah. I generally don't sort of hunt the shotguns at all. But um, but yeah, there is. That's the one. Um, duck, duck, and uh, I'm not sure about quail. We still do have a quail season. I don't know if that's just private or not. It's outside my area of knowledge. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely is a duck season that that has uh, some game reserves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm... Spoke to someone who hunted there. And I could I could never quite understand if they were hunting on public or private, but they, I know they have a, yeah. a, a a duck season. And, and, and yeah. I think there's some pheasant uh, shooting down there too, but I think that's purely private. It is, yeah, yeah, and they're 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 bred birds, yeah, the pheasant hunting down here. So um, yeah, and what, um, what but yeah, what uh, what breed of deer you got down there, eh? Uh, look, it's predominantly fallow. That's like 90 plus percent of our deer would be fallow. Um, and, you know, they've been there, you know, well over 100 years. Same with the red deer. There's there's red deer down here as well that have been here a long time. Um, they're predominantly the two. And then you do get small pockets of, of chill, um, rusa, the odd samba, you know, they're, but they're predominantly sort of, you know, uh, just just small pockets or, or escapees, that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, okay. but the, the vast majority is fallow, fallow boy reds, yeah. Here I say it, that you've seen more restricted than Queensland, having Quite to get possibly. a hunting permit as well as uh, not having that yep. access. Oh, 
Well, there you go. I learned something tonight. I thought we yeah. were the poor cousins up north. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, SA could definitely be better. That's for sure. Um, you know, and like everywhere, you know, if if you don't know people, it's pretty tough to get onto good good uh, private land. Um, yeah. You know, luckily growing up in a country area, I sort of you know know enough people and that sort of thing. We're all pretty fortunate, but um, yeah, for someone new getting into it, you know, it's it's pretty hard hard work. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so again, what's the big um, the big private um, hunting ground down there in South Australia? Is it Water Valley? Yeah, Water Valley Station. Yep, it's Water Valley. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's really the I don't know the the central point for a lot of private land hunting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Look, Water Valley is a, a massive uh, private property. Um, don't quote me, but a, a couple of hundred thousand acres um, behind game feds, mm. um, and it is just a massive, massive area. Um, like it's uh, you know not not lifestyle really as far as hunting goes, but you know I've, I've been in there and, and it's a real eye opener. Um, you know, good numbers of deer and you get in there in the rut, it, it's, it really is an eye-opener. Um, and, you know, for people that don't have access or to go and access different species, like I think they've got five species of deer in there. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting hunting and it's um, not super expensive from what I understand. And, and there's a number of guides that operate out of there. There's yeah. guides from every state will come and, um, and base themselves at Water Valley for months at a time, some of them. Um, and there's a couple of full-time ones, I think, that, that sort of live there year-round. But, yeah, definitely good opportunity for people who don't have access and, and, you know, some good hunting in there and still sort of challenging, you know, like it's a big enough area that, you know, you're not, um, you know, you're not, you're not in a pen, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, for those people that are interested, yeah, definitely a good opportunity. Yeah, and there's some big, big reds in there too, from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, yeah, and look, and there's big free-range reds in SA too, you know, like I, um, yeah, got, actually this year the quality of reds I've got in my shed um, that have come in from clients is, is yeah, out of this world. It's, it's been a really good year. So, um, yeah, some some very handy reds. So. Mm. so moving a bit out of South Australia, we know that you, you've hunted a little bit in, in – Victoria. So, give us a rundown of what that's like for you hunting in Victoria. Right. Um, Secret spots. Welcome. No, well, <laughs> <laughs> look, it's a small state, but it's not that small. <laughs> no, look, I'm I'm far from an expert. You're not going to get any good spots uh, in Victoria if you follow me. So, um, no, look, Victoria. To me, it's probably more about catching up with mates over there, which I, I don't do enough of, and I haven't hunted over there as much as I would have liked. But, um, yeah, I've done a few Samba trips now um, over the years. And, um, you know, like I said, a lot of it's to, to go and catch up with a good mate or two and just spend a bit of time in the bush. And um, well, one mate over there who's a stalker and then another mate who runs a hound crew um, up out of Dargo. And so I've, I've been in, and sort of done both. And then um, a lot of the guys from the southeast here will go and do sort of backpack hunting in behind the gates. And um, and I've done a little bit of that as well. So, um, yeah, I'm certainly not a not a really experienced animal hunter, but I've um, sort of dabbled in each each style. And, yeah, and um, yeah, it's certainly sort of beautiful country to go and spend a bit of time in. And, um, 
yeah, something I do need to do more of, but I kept getting dragged overseas and <laughs> elsewhere and just, tough. yeah, there's only so many, so many weeks in the year. Been tough by the sounds of it. <laughs> the, the, I haven't ever hunted, well, I have hunted with dogs, but not like that. That the certainly yeah. the, the hound hunting looks looks like a you know a very social communal type of activity. You know, it looks like a it looks like a real event rather than just a hunt. That's for sure. Absolutely, mate. It's um, yeah, and look, I I go more for that side of it than the hunting. To be honest, it, it's such a good team atmosphere and. And they're also passionate about their dogs, and and what you know, it's, to them it's all about being in the bush and watching their dogs work. And and you know, if they harvest a deer at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a you know a hind or a stag or whatever it is. It's you know they're they're pretty happy, and you know the whole team's there to help out. And it really is a great team atmosphere. You know, the, I'd go up there for a week, and you know, blokes I don't know are, are feeding me and treating me like family and, um, you know, sitting around the fire at night and, you know, the stories that come out, you can imagine. And, um, yeah, it really is, it's a good social time for sure. Yeah, it, look, it looks really, yeah, I suppose it, it's almost like a, hunting's often a very um, individual activity. So the hunting looks, you know, wholly different in the, in the approach and the fact that, you know, they're, the meal and the, the camp and all that is a big part of it rather than just that yep. the, the actual activity of hunting itself it seems very much more of a communal activity and i suppose that's why you know you get you get those kind of lifelong friends for it because there's so much interaction yeah that's right you know those guys that that's all they do is hunt sambra over hounds you know they're not interested in hunting anything else anyway that's 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 life you know and um and it's funny, you know, you, you go overseas and you know, down the East Cape of South Africa, there's guys that hunt uh, bushbuck over hounds and they're as passionate as our samba guys. And, you know, mm. some of them, that's all they hunt is bushbuck over hounds, you know, and it's the similarities are unbelievable. Um, but it's all about, yeah, teamwork and, and, and working with the dogs. And so two completely different scenarios, but it, but so similar at the same time. So. Mm. It is. It is. It's obviously a very Europe. You know, it's got some really strong European connections, though. You know, in terms of Australia, you know, you're in Australia hunting basically Asiatic deer over over hounds, and then I suppose in in Africa you're hunting, you know, an African species over hounds, and and I suppose it's very similar to what you see again, and I've only ever seen on video, like in the states where they're hunting, you know. Um, predators or, or bears or even you know the the, the large cats with the hounds so it's yeah, yeah. yeah well I, I would certainly like to have uh, even if i was just you know just there i'd like to i'd like to be a part of that one it looks like a really really you know communal activity and that's always been a big part of hunting for me or, or it didn't start that way but it certainly become more and more important that that connectivity maybe it was interesting before you were talking about you know family makes you kind of reassess your your ability to to travel yep. so i mean with two young boys i think the last i think it was 2018 when i last said goodbye for 10 days and that was the last you know that was it and um and so from i i completely understand you know you you almost have to compress your your 
your journey time so you can spend more time actually hunting and less time traveling. And I was lucky yep. through, through the pandemic to actually get a block only 90 minutes from home. So that's been that's Perfect. been my that's been my sanity check. But it's very true yep. that idea that you know you, when you don't have that kind of commitment, you go, yeah, see ya, I'll see you when I come back, and off you go. Yeah. Then it's uh, it's it's really it is really something I've thought about a lot too. Yeah, no, it definitely changed mining, and actually changed it for the better because you know that that got me involved in deer hunting, and um, you know I don't know, you know, I probably would have fallen into it eventually, but I probably wouldn't have the experience I got now. Mm. Um, but yeah, like for me, like I'm down in Mount Gambia now. Um, it's where I'm based, and uh, you know, for me, it's about an hour and a half to two hours drive to get into really good um, deer country. Um, but it, it's far enough that you know you can just do an overnighter, or you know, for us, we do a lot of two or maybe three night hunts sort of thing throughout the year. During the rut, we'll try and go for you know a longer sort of five or six day hunt um, if you can. Um, but yeah. Predominantly, yeah, two-night hunt would be what we do. And, yeah, it's much easier to do that sort of with, with younger kids, obviously, um, than just to piss off for a week at a time. And, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit selfish. But um, but for me, it's sort of I've almost gone full circle now. You know, my girls are, uh, you know, the oldest ones at their boyfriend's place tonight and the youngest one's nearly 17. So it's sort of, um, yeah, I've sort of got that freedom back again. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty lucky to have a wife that generally – you know, any stupid harebrained scheme I come up with, she just says, yeah, go do it. So I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah, she she very rarely calls me an idiot and says no. So, yeah, generally she's pretty encouraging, which is, certainly helps. Well, I know at the moment if I, leave, if I leave here at 3 a.m., I can be back for school pickup. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's hardcore. That's it. I know that. I know, and the reason I know that is I'm going to do it again on Friday coming up. But that's it. If I leave here at three, I'll be I'll, I'll be with the coffee stop on the way. I'll be there at quarter to five. The light will just be coming up, and I'll be in the paddock. And if I do well, I'll be back here for school pick. Oh, if I do well or not, I'll be back for school pick up. So, yep. Compress it down into a day. It's a, it's a long day, and uh, I have to sleep on yeah. the couch because no one wants me banging around the house at three a.m. in the morning when I'm leaving. So, yeah, no, I've been there, done exactly the same. Mate. The first place I really cut my teeth hunting fallow on, you know, I'd, I got on a nice little private block, and um, I'd go down. I'd yeah, either do exactly that, or I'd leave home at three in the morning and drive up there and and just you know sneak out in the paddock and sit under a tree till it got light or or I'd drive up there later in the evening and just roll a swag in the back of the ute in the corner of the paddock and then um, sort of be out hunting as the sun came up. And that's, yeah, that place is where I, yeah, shot my first sort of fallow and first sort of fallow buck and a couple of does and um, ended up taking a, a good mate there and, and he shot his first couple of fallow bucks here as well. And, um, yeah, that's sort of really where, where I cut my teeth doing exactly what you just said, you know, like, Day trips or at the very most, you know, an overnighter, but not even really an overnighter. Just no. a, yeah, long day hunt. But, well, I yeah, literally yeah. just bought a new one-man tent for this for summer because it, you know, I'm, I'm getting up at two thirty to try and beat the light, and I'm just thinking, no, nah, I'm just going to go up the night before. Yeah, yeah. Sleep in the paddock and be ready to go. So yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's, no, the trouble with you, you know. 
it, whilst sunrise might be 5 a.m., you, you're getting light at 4.30, so I just can't, I can't beat it after a while. Yeah, that's right. No, and, and you know, sometimes you got to walk, you know, an hour to be where you want to be when that sun does come up. So, um, and yeah, that to me, that's always the best part of the day. You know, I've always preferred morning hunting to afternoon hunting. So, um, yeah, do what you got to do to get out there, however, however you can do it, pretty much. So, how did you more from that to taxi derming? Because, I mean, most of us have a crack at, you know, um, you know, skull mounting something or like or doing a presentation. But you yep. kind of took it up a couple of notches. So how did you, I mean, you know, Ben's got some behind him. I've got some here on the wall. But you kind of went, yeah, that's not good enough. And you, you, you kicked it up a few levels. Um, unfortunately, I haven't got one on the wall because uh, my treasure rooms, currently demolished and uh i've got a concrete slab down for the new trophy room and i've got timber frames and that's it so the um yeah formal lounge room next to me is gutted of furniture and the whole floor is covered in uh i think there's nearly 30 shoulder mounts laying on the floor in there so that's my trophy <laughs> room at the moment it's, it's not very impressive but um yeah so now i um sort of started I'm not by accident, but like you know, like you, I've always you know done a few skull mounts and shield mounts, and played around tanning a couple of skins early on. And um, but the main thing for me was um, there's there's no taxidermists around here, and you know I would drive to Melbourne or over to Mansfield, over to Peter Anthony when he was doing taxidermy over there, um, or a couple of guys down in Melbourne, um, or I'll build Barry uh, down there and. Those guys sort of did my first mounts um, many years ago. and But for me, you know, it's a, a five-hour drive to drop it off and then another five-hour drive to go pick it up. And, and anyway, I was sort of always sort of interested. So, you know, many years ago I shot a fox one night out spotlighting and I thought a oh, fox would be a pretty easy way to start taxidermy. And um, little did I know how wrong that was. To this day, I still hate doing foxes. <laughs> There's some pretty mongrel-looking fox memes of taxi <laughs> failures Mate, out there. They're not easy to mount well, that's for sure. Right. Um, anyway, I mounted this, yeah, mangy-looking little vixen, and I remember sort of finishing that, and I, I was moderately happy with it, but I remember thinking, oh, these taxidermists earn every cent they get. I'm never doing that again. And for the next two years, I don't think I even thought about taxidermy, but then I shot a... Um, I shot a little 10-point red stag one year and um, caped it out just for a spare cake, to be honest. And then um, it wasn't until I got home and I thought, no, nah, bugger it, I'm, I'm going to have a go at mounting this, this red. And, uh, you know, I stuffed a fair bit of it up. But, you know, there was enough sort of half-reasonable bits about it that I thought, you know, that's not too bad. And and then, you know, I had a couple of good mates that were generous enough to give me some, some heads that they had and... Um, uh, just to get practice doing other species and that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, started doing a few for mates. And then, yeah, it just grew from there. And, um, you know, next thing I was doing, 20 heads a year, then 50 heads a year, then 70, 80. Now it's, yeah, well over 100 heads a year. So um, it's, yeah, it's just the last sort of five, six, seven years especially has just gone through the roof. So, yeah, it's almost the point where it's a, it's a full-time thing just about now. 
Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's it's a bit crazy, but um, yeah, look, I'm I'm a shift worker in the timber industry down here, and and I have been for I think 22 years now, and uh, I work four days on, four days off. Um, so um, yeah, I've, I've got that bit of time um, to you know either go hunting or be in the shed sort of working and. But I'm at the point now where I'm sort of, yeah, I'm four days on at work and I'm four days on in my shed. So it's uh, just feel like I'm always working eight days a week. But um, but I do enjoy it and, and still love it. And, and, you know, the animals are getting, you know, bigger and better and more exotic and getting stuff from all over the world and uh, sending stuff, you know, uh, around the place as well. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. What's the business called, Tim? I just I went right out on a limb, mate, and just called it Tim Blackwell Taxidermy. Went um, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm an imaginative sort of bloke, but um, yeah. Uh, do, do, do you put picture of your pictures of your work up on socials? For sure, mate. Yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook mainly um, under the same name, and then um, yeah, I am on on Instagram as well. I don't do as much on Instagram. I sort of. I'm a bit of a uh, bit of a newbie, really, but um, yeah. So I do. Facebook's been really good. Um, you know, it's probably more main main sort of marketing tool, and uh, yeah, certainly get a lot of traffic there, and uh, has been good for business. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, you talk about all of the the bad things that social media has brought into our lives, but promoting work, you know, for the small businessman that's that's got a niche like what you're talking about is. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a bloody good tool. Oh, 100 percent, mate. It's it's by far, you know, my biggest um, biggest sort of marketing and that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, got a pretty good community on there. And surprisingly, haven't had you know too much hate mail or flack or anything like that. So it's all been pretty positive. And um, no, it, it has worked well for me. That's for sure. Yeah, great. Well, I found you. That wasn't hard. Um, so I'll, I'll take a good look at that. I've, I've, um, look, I've taken, you know, a, a few animals over my my hunting life, and uh, I've never even really thought hard about getting a shoulder mount done or any kind of mount done other than, you know, just doing a euro, you know, just because it's easy, yeah. something that you can do yourself. Yeah. And you know, there's a there's a reasonable extra cost to get someone to do a good job of a shoulder mount, and and, and whilst you probably sure. you know want to do that for a good quality animal that you've taken, um, it's a big step to be you know going yep. from um, you know public land free range hunting where you haven't really paid much more than than the travel cost to get out there to to adding that sort yep. of load on top of it. But you know, there's there's an appeal, and it's difficult to find the right taxidermist because you'll find good and bad yeah. reviews about everybody. And, um, For sure. you know, if you're going to give your, you know, your, your pride and joy that you've, you know, and all of those memories to somebody's hands, I don't even know how you go about selecting somebody. It's It's got to be a difficult task. But uh, doing 100 a year, yeah. I reckon someone's found a niche. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. I'll, I'll just add, you know, it's um, you're 100% right what, what you say, you know. Um, it's an art form. Um, everybody's interpretation of an animal was slightly different. You know, we, we always work to live reference. Nothing beats live reference, but everyone's interpretation is slightly different. And any other sort of taxidermist could tell you, you know, we can pretty much pick each other's work virtually now. You know, you can look at a mount and go, yeah, well, 
Joe Bloggs did that one. And, and you know, most of the time you can pick it and you, you get to pick forms and this sort of stuff. And, and you know, like some of us are good at certain things, you know, there's, there's some things I'm better at than others. Um, and other tax teams, you know, they all have their specialties exactly like you say. And so it's important to... Yeah, you know, do that bit of research um, and find the right taxidermist for for the amount you want to do. You know, um, whoever that may be. You know, for and I'll be honest. Like I mentioned foxes earlier. Like I, I don't like doing foxes. I'm not great at them, so I'm happy to refer them to someone else that is good at them. You know, so yeah. whereas I'd rather do you know the deer and big game that I'm sort of good at and and spend my time doing what i'm good at and let someone else do what they're good at so yeah i was um, gonna i was gonna ask if there was something you'd you'd prefer not to do but potentially you're too polite to turn away what would it be it sounds like one of those bug-eyed foxes with gnarly teeth that's the wrong the wrong choice for you but if you were doing big game like deer and and, and various other things is there a a particular part of um doing a shoulder mount or you know a, a common mount that you do that, that you don't enjoy like is there a really difficult part to the job that uh, not enjoying the wrong the wrong term but um you know it can become a bit tedious i guess uh look it, probably every little part of it over a while you know it can get a little tedious um um it, it's funny i'm i'm a bit like i always tend to put aside doing the, the finished final detail work not because it's tedious but I'm really good at getting a heap of stuff mounted and then they generally, once they're mounted, they take about a month to dry before we can finish them. Uh, um, and I'll, I'll generally end up with this, I'll just keep mounting stuff and end up with this wall full of stuff that I've got to finish. <laughs> that's that's probably my, my downfall. But I look, the the skinning and turning and salting and all that definitely by the end of the rut, that, that starts to wear a bit thin. Um, and I mm. think every, every taxonist will be there, you know. Especially down here, being fellow red deer country, you know, as you can imagine, like probably uh, a half of my year's work comes in in six weeks. You know, like March, April is just ballistic. Um, you know, I've, I've got deer coming in virtually seven days a week. Some days you'll have four deer come in and they all need caping, you know. So it's um, the rest of the year I don't cape that many deer, but during the rut it's, it's just crazy, you know. So People um, are bringing them in, li- not, not live, people are bringing them in whole for you. Oh, <laughs> I have had a couple of whole ones, but no, nah, generally a lot of them will, will cape up to the head and just oh, lock yeah. the head off with the cape, oh, bring them in. And, and yeah. yeah, we've just got a um, face cape, turn ears, lips, nose, salt it down, boiling skull caps, you know, just all that work. Definitely by the end of April, I'm, I'm pretty much over that. And and the, the downside of that is because you're spending so much of your time doing that, you're not actually getting anything mounted. So um whereas this time here is great you know i can just just be in the shed flat out getting stuff mounted and and really catching up uh, because there's not much coming in so summer's my catch-up time and then i know come sort of february march it's going to start pouring in again and it's it's the silly season back again so but for the hunter would you have it any other way um i mean would you would you prefer to to get the the animal coming in in that state for you to deal with properly than you know, Joe Blow Hunter to have a hack and try and get it off for you to repair. Like it, yeah, it might no, get tedious, but, right and not, yeah. yeah, that's a good point, mate. Um, so you know, like because it is an investment, and it's not just an investment in coin, but it's an investment. You know, in it's a personal investment. You shoot something that you want to 
you want to you want to get you know you think i want this you know i want this on my wall for the rest of my life i want to look at this thing i remember this thing so one of the things that we really like to do on the podcast is really give people advice about what to do and let, let's 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 ask that question if i've if i've hit a deer that i want to get you know i think this is the deer i want on my wall um, yep. what 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 do you want to see what, what, oh, look, what makes you smile than rather go, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> More maggots. <laughs> what, what do you want to see from me? Oh, look, it the world, mate. I'd love to see every hunter do their do their practice, go out in the field with the right gear, you know, you know have a have a haddle on scalpel knife and a, and a good sharp skinning knife and, um, you know, a pair of ear pliers for 10 years and all that sort of stuff and, and, you know, I do get a reasonable handful of hunters that are experienced enough that they're good at caping. They can fully turn a salt to cape. It comes in with no meat and fat on it. Um, and, you know, basically they'll just come in and go, here's my antlers, here's my dry salted cape. And, you know, it's a matter of just putting a tag in it and putting it on the pile sort of thing. And and, and that's easy. But, you know, I'm really, realistic enough to know that not everyone knows how to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of newer hunters out there and that sort of stuff. So... I'm always happy to spend time with guys, um, you know, to, to run them through, show them how to face cape an animal and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I end up doing a couple of demonstrations generally with ADA every year, you know, showing how to face cape and all that sort of stuff and trying to educate people. Because um, as you say, you know, if, if a guy tries to do it himself, you know, it, it might have saved me half an hour from turning ears and lips, but I end up spending an extra two hours sewing holes up in it. So, um, it. Yeah. yeah. But no, look, um, to answer your question properly, um, the main thing is like, the, the basic bodily cuts aren't too bad, you know, to cut around behind, make sure you leave enough cape. You know, we always talk about don't cut your cape short. You know, we can always cut it off. You can't add it back on. So an animal like a fallow, you know, go right back to halfway if you want to. Um, that cut up the back of the neck, make it nice and straight. You know, you see a lot of guys will take a blunt knife and hack, hack, hack their way up the back of the neck and, you know, we've got to try and sew that up. So make your cuts nice and clean, use a sharp scalpel or whatever. Um, skin it off as clean. That's an important one, isn't it? Go up, go, up the back, go up the back of the neck, not up the front of the belly because you can hide that, <laughs> yeah. can't you, when yeah. the hair is... Yeah, yeah I suppose so. It's up well, most drop. of us yeah. cut up the belly. Yeah. That's what you do when you're, when you're just field dressing yeah. something out. It's a different cut yeah. When, yeah. You, when you want to keep it. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the first step really is do your research. Well, as you say, you know, research cuts, you know, there, there's a couple of booklets out there and, and there's, there's, there is a bit of stuff online now about how to cape a deer and that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a trophy buck, you know, you can cape a spike or you can cape a doe or whatever for a bit of practice, um, um, even if it's just a meat animal. So, um you know, if you are thinking of getting something mounted, yeah, definitely take the time, do a bit of practice, and and have the right tools in the field. You know, have a have a couple of sharp knives, and uh, yeah, you know, it's not rocket science, but it just takes a bit of practice and and know how. And uh, but the main thing is, I, I always tell people treat treat it like a piece of meat that you're going to eat. So keep it as clean as you can, keep it cool. You know, because it is what wrecks capes and causes hair slip is the same bacteria that send your meat off right so um keep it cool you know if you've got to put it in your esky and pack it in ice pack it in ice uh if you've got angle fridge put it in the angle fridge keep it cool if you're not going to turn it salted um 
you know, a lot of guys are freeze capes, which is fine. Um, but, um, yeah, the main thing is, you know, don't leave us sitting in the sun. Don't, you know, you see guys will go back to camp, get on the beers and then decide sometime mid-morning, oh, I might go and cape that deer and by then it's, you know, it's already too late. So deal with it as soon as you can, get it cool, you know, um, make it your number one priority pretty much. Yeah. Look, I, I've started carrying it, Havilon, just for for that reason. I have I haven't used it, um, but I, I I thought you know one day I might just happen to think, hang on, I, <laughs> I want this one. I haven't got there yet, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I suppose it's a wishful. Th- it was a wishful per a wishful thinking purchase on my part. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I'm mate, likely I, to be the guy that slips the knife up the back of its neck and lops its head off and drops the whole thing off still intact. Yeah, uh, well, yeah look, and, and that's fine. I've seen if, that. I've seen if, that. Yeah. No, that's fine. The, the only downside with that is it limits your time. You, you've pretty much got to get out of the bush to get yeah. it back to your taxidermist. Yeah. And, like, if you're Sam hunting in your, you know, your five hours from the car and you're camped or whatever, it's, it's good to know how to turn them and salt them and then, you know, you can spend yeah. the rest of your time in camp or whatever instead of having to cut your trip short. But, um, but yeah, look, definitely, you know, you have a lot of coming like that every every year that I, you know, end up face caving and, and that's fine. So I, uh, I remember shooting on one of the blocks, the ADA blocks up in uh, Brisbane Valley and one of the guys got a, got a deer he wanted caped and literally threw the whole arm on the back of the truck and... Headed to Kilcoy at a fast rate of knots, you know. At the bottom yeah. of a very gnarly gully in New Zealand, um, a long way from anywhere when we shot a nice red stag. And um, one of the guys said to me, I said, are we going to mount this one? And I'm like, oh, fuck, no way. How am I going to get that up the hill? It was a good 18 hours to get back to camp from where we were. So um, yeah, there's no hope for him, unfortunately. But anyway, I, I yeah. hear you. And it, they are good tips. Um, it's important for people to know and, Another bit of kit to go in the bag, I guess, Mark, isn't it really for, yeah, well, for people? Same. But I'd love to, I'd love to get a a, a demo. Like I, I went to a one of the ADA um, hunter education weekends um, at one point, and they had someone come and do a a um, a taxidermy presentation on how to do the full face mount uh, caping and all that sort yep. of stuff. But not not one thing in that thing that I in that demonstration I've remembered because it wasn't hands-on, you know, it's very difficult to watch and not yeah. get the experience. Yeah. Now we, um, as a branch, yeah. quite often we'll run a, a mentor weekend and we'll knock over, um, you know, 10 fallow deer and, and then everyone gets to um, dress out a side, you know, so you've got 20 people being able to dress out a side of that under instruction from, you know, a, you know, good quality butcher. And you know, yeah. the hands-on is what makes you remember all of that. Now, it makes me think that, if we're going to knock over 10 deer, then maybe we should bring in a taxidermist that can then take you through the whole face cape process as well and not just the butchery because then that'll stick. Yeah, at, least, at least some of it will yeah. stick uh, by doing oh, that. Yeah, look, you're dead right. You, you, you're going to learn 10 times more by getting you know, a knife in your hands and doing it yourself. That's definitely how I learn best, you know, um, just have a crack. Mm. I like the idea of just practicing on a meat animal. I think that's a great idea. You know, you, you once you got the the hind quarters off and the, the back straps out, just practice. I mean, why not? Just that's right. That's it. So that sounds like you know a very 
very reasonable advice. Get out there and just have a practice at it. Yeah, that's all right. Well, what's the worst can happen? You, you know, you just that's right. Yeah, you don't get it right, but you'll you'll learn. Oh, okay, don't do that next time and things like that. Because, um, what what's it like? We're talking about deer, but what about things like pigs? Because I would assume that they would be a, a very different animal to cape out like that. Yeah, pigs. It's think about caping a um, a uh, BFG off your four wheel drive. It's pretty much what's like caping a pig. <laughs> um, and you know, buffalo. I, I just did this uh, buff trip out in Arnhem Land a, a month ago, and uh, yeah, I think. We had a big group out there. We had, uh, I think, six of us out there. We rolled, uh, I think, six buffalo balls and two scrub balls, and, and we caped a lot. And um, oh, cape, so. and and in mid September, you know, it's bloody hot, and you know we, uh, you know, a few times we're good good few k's from the car, and uh, it's it's hot hard work caping out one of those guys. You know, the, the back of the necks on those balls are you know inch and a quarter thick, mm. uh, and some pretty serious weight to carry out as well. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Bloody hell. Yeah, that's serious. But uh, yeah, yeah it makes it look pretty good when you come home and get back into a fallow deer. <laughs> you know, that would test out a good knife, coping out something on that that size in the heat, you know. Because you'd, yep. you'd want to be moving. <laughs> you'd naturally want to try and move as fast as you can. So. Yeah, for sure. No, no, look, I'm lucky the guys I was up there with the – uh, yeah, the, the guide we had was pretty pretty handy. One of the better guides I've seen as far as trophy prep. And two guys in camp were butchers, so they're pretty handy with knives. And uh, it was a case where everyone just sort of hooked in and, and had a go, and, and we got them done pretty quick. But um, yeah, you know, we had a couple of them died in rivers and uh, two in the dark, and you know, <laughs> it threw everything at us. Yeah, all fun and games. So unreal. That's mm. so really good. that's worth, I mean, great segue. So tell us a little bit about your hunting up in the Northern Territory for buffalo and scrubbles. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sort of, I remember when I was a kid, you know, you, you first read those sporting shooter magazines that I can remember being in, in, I think, year three or four in primary school and used to pinch dad's sporting shooters and take them to, take them to school with me and, uh, and, and that. And, um I can just remember buffalo were always just the, you know, the pinnacle. You know, once you'd shot a buffalo, you might as well give up because th there's nothing else to hunt, you know. And and when I was a kid, that's the way I thought. So, you know, I always wanted to just go and hunt buffalo. And anyway, uh, back in uh, 2010, I did my first um, NT trip and it was organised through the, uh, the late, great uh, Matt Graham, who's since passed away, unfortunately, um, far too young. Um, but yeah, Matt ran uh, Hunt Australia Safaris, which is one of the, the bigger um, outfitters in the NT at the time. Um, and yeah, went up and, and had a great hunt there and, and shot a really nice bull buffalo and a really nice scrub bull as well, as well as, you know, a handful of pigs and, and donkeys and brumbies and dingoes and just, you know, just had a, had a ball. Um, that same year, actually, I went and hunted pigs back in the territory as well um, with a mate up there. Um, you know, quad bike uh, each, and you know, cruising the waterholes, chasing pigs, which was a good fun hunt as well. And was pretty much addicted to the NT after that. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was some years before I could get back, um, just because you know, 
you end up going to Africa and New Zealand and doing all these other things and just haven't got enough annual leave every year. <laughs> and mm. um, So, yeah, and eventually I got back um, to hunt Banting, which was another one I, I sort of always wanted to do, but never sure if I'd get the opportunity to do it because yeah, it's sort of not easily accessible or cheap hunt, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, very glad I went and did that. And then, yeah, this last year just gone, uh, sorry, sorry, this year, um, we were meant to be headed to Africa, but obviously with uh, current events, we're um, we're not travelling internationally. So the idea of NT came up again, and a big group of us just said, "Yeah, bugger it, let's go." So um, caught up with uh, Alex Jagas from Big Country Safaris. Um, he runs a yeah, real top shelf operation up there, and he's right out in Central Arnhem, like super super remote country. Um, like a, I think it was nine or ten hours drive out of Darwin. Um, you have very few roads in the area. You know you're hunting on foot, pretty hard going. And uh, but you know just how it should be. Um, yeah, so just love it up there. It, it really is hunters and fishermen's paradise. Not I, I don't fish, but it's uh, yeah, it, it is paradise for the sportsman up there. That's for sure. Yeah. So what kind of gear are you taking to hunt up there? Um. So my. Predominant sort of big game rifle. Uh, I've got a, a 458 Win Mag uh, Mark 10 Morza, um, and that I, I hand, well I handload for everything, but I, I shoot 480 grain Woodleys in that, um, and I've shot yeah I think all uh, three buffalo that I've, I've shot now have all been with that, um, and then I've got a, a Seiko uh, 375 H as well. Um, that I've taken up there and uh, I hunted my Bantang with that. Um, and, um, yeah, generally the way it is with the Territory, you, you take your big bore rifle and, and everything else, just you hunt with that. So, you know, the dingoes and pigs and everything I've generally shot up there have all been with the big bores because that's just what you're carrying at the time. So it's, yeah, it does the job. Yeah. That's a fair... Four, five, eight, win. That's what man kill, known man killer at both ends, really, isn't it? Ah, uh, it's not too bad. It's um, yeah, my rifle's pretty light. I think it's oh, it's about nine pounds scoped, which for a four, five, eight, it's a bit silly, but it's um, it's good to carry, made to carry more than shoot. Um, off the bench, it's not too much fun. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not made to bench shoot. So you know you. And I can tell you, if you're pointing it at a buffalo bull at, at 20 or 30 paces, you don't even feel the recoil. So, no, no, uh, you wouldn't. Nah, so. But, yeah, it, it's like anything, it's just practice, you know, you build up a bit of tolerance to to the bigger guns. And, um, yeah, it takes me, you know, if I, if I haven't shot them for a year or two, it takes me, or definitely do a bit of practice first to, to build up a bit of tolerance to them again. It's not something you can just, well, me anyway, it's not something I can just pull out of the safe and, and shoot a, you know, inch group with. I've got to do a bit of practice and build up tolerance. But, yeah, certainly doable. So do you, do you fly to Darwin and then, then travel out that way? Does the, does, the, does the guide meet you in Darwin or do you make your own way out? How's that all work out for you? Um, generally, yeah, most, most outfits will pick you up um, and return you to Darwin. Yeah, um, that's sort of how I've done it in the past. I was pretty lucky for a number of years. My sister lived up there, so I had a nice base up there and used to visit reasonably often. But unfortunately, she's um, 
she's back in New South Wales these days, but um, yeah, it was handy having a base there. But yeah, most most time we'll just lob in, spend a night at a hotel, and um, get a nice dinner down on the foreshore and watch the sunset and have a couple of beers, and then uh, get picked up early the next day and, and head out to to wherever we're hunting. And then uh, yeah, it's generally sort of a, a week week hunt, and then a night back in Darwin when we head back and uh, and then fly back the next day. That's that's a typical sort of trip for us, yeah. And that would be – so that would that part of that week be, well, a 10-hour road trip, so it's basically two days travelling as well when you're up there as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're typically losing, you know, a, a day on either end sort of. Mm. Um, that that that's, a, that's the furthest I've travelled in the Territory. You know, other places – I think the, the place I hunted my first buck back in 2010 was, you know, sort of only four, maybe five hours out of Darwin um, and round up to Coburg um, Peninsula where the Banting are, you know, it's sort of a, a six-hour drive. Of course, it all depends on road conditions. If if they've graded it, you can take about two hours off. If they haven't graded it, you can add about two hours on. So it's, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty dependent. But, uh, but all the way, you know, you... Pretty interesting country to see too. Like it's it's certainly not boring driving up there. So it's a different part of the country, isn't it? Mm, for sure. So how did you leap from Northern Territory to Africa? Um, well, similarly to what I said about the buffalo, you know, I, I first saw kudu in uh, in hunting magazines, and and like a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah, you know, just just wanted to hunt kudu. You know, that was that was what drew me to Africa. You know, I always wanted to go and, and hunt a kudu bull, and um, and then yeah, but pretty much through a good a good mate of mine, Mark Roder, um, who I've, I've done a lot of hunting with. Mark had already been to Africa sort of two or three times at that stage, and um, and hunted a, a reasonable amount of game. And and anyway, I sort of got talking to him. We actually. Yeah, we were hunting pheasants down here a few times and we'd sit in camp and start talking about Africa and he'd, he'd bring his photo albums and start showing me and, yeah, pretty much from then on I was hooked. And um, so back in 2016 we did our first trip together. So uh, Mark and his wife Lauren and then my wife Nikki, all four of us went to Namibia and spent um, two weeks basically over there and I think we... We had eight full days hunting plus sort of travel on the end and had a bit of a chance to look around um, the place and and just fell in love with it. You know, Namibia is just such a beautiful place and, you know, beautiful people and um, and the countryside was just fantastic, you know. Um, and, you know, up in, the, up in the hills in Namibia, stalking free-range kudu and, and I shot a beautiful bull up there. Um, still probably my favourite hunt that I've ever done, you know. It's one of those... Sometimes you'll have a dream of, of a certain animal or whatever and it, and it won't quite live up to what you thought it might have, but that was one that, yeah, it, it lived up to every part of it. You know, the, the stalk was fantastic. The whole hunt was fantastic. You know, it was exciting, you know, and then to finally see it on the ground and, you know, it just the closer you get, the bigger it gets and, you know, just everything about it was just just awesome. So, yeah, that's that was the first trip. And then um, so that trip... I think I went with a wish list of five five species, I think, uh, and ended up shooting eight trophies. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, just, just we're on a bit of a roll. Um, and then, yeah, so I got home and, and 
just you, people told me, you know, don't call it a once-in-a-lifetime trip because <laughs> it's not going to be. And uh, pretty much before I came home, we are already sort of talking about where we're going to go next. And uh, um, what we generally try to do we hunt, over there is we hunt species endemic to an area. We, we like to try and hunt free range as much as we can. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out about Africa. There's a lot of misinformation as well, but, um, you know, not everything's behind water. Um, and, but the, the main thing for us, you know, I've hunted some, some big places over there that are again fenced, but the main thing for us is we want um, self-sustaining populations. So populations again that, are endemic to the area where they live. They breed there, live there, die there, you know. Um, you'll see some places over there where, you know, we've all seen the footage on YouTube of a, a bachelor mob of buffalo bulls eating a bale of hay with blokes shooting them out of a blind or whatever, you know. If guys want to do that, more power to them, you know. I'm not going to knock them, you know, if they're happy with it. That's, you know, it's their money. Good luck to them. And, and those sort of opportunities are there for a reason. But, you know, for me... You know, if I don't see cows walking around on a property, I start scratching my head thinking, hang on, these animals aren't bred here. <laughs> you know, they're basically farm animals that were at market last week. So, you know, you've got to pick your outfit carefully, pick your area carefully. And like I said, we, we generally pick what species we want to hunt and then research, right, this is where they live, this is where they're endemic, this is where I can hunt at free range, and then pick an outfitter um, and go from there. So... Yeah, so I've done, done three three uh, trips over there now and the fourth one was meant to be 2020, then it was meant to be this year. Mm. Now it's currently uh, uh, August 22. Um, You've got a fair, fair chance of getting there. Yeah, well, look, six, you know, six or eight weeks ago, I would have said oh, maybe 50-50, but, yeah, the way things are... Have turned a bit with vaccinations and that, yeah. We've, we've sort of reasonably hopeful now to the point where, you know, we've been in touch with the travel agent and looked at rolling our tickets over and picking some dates. And the outfitter's got dates for us, so um, we're going back to hunt Cape Buffalo, and yeah, um, yeah should, should be should be good. If yeah, yeah we're so uh, three four years in the making. So. We get a bit more confident with the old travel bookings. I've got a. A tar and a red sorted for New Zealand and dates under control. So we think we're there. I would awesome. never have dared, never have dared to book last year or this year. Um, but we, we think we're okay. So we've we've missed out on Stewart Island twice, uh, unfortunately, yeah, the last couple of, couple of years. But we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. Um, but anyway, that, sure. that's that's amazing. I mean, you, you hear so many stories about Africa. Um, you know, some people have got a bent to go to, you know, um, Canada and Alaska and places like that, and others seem to want to go over to Africa and, and hunt that. Yep. There, seem, there seems to almost be two camps eventually, those that, that like to travel will get to both, I guess. But um, New Zealand yep. New Zealand is a, a, another safari park that's not far from home that you've obviously yep. managed to get to. Um, seems to be an easy one for the Australian to get to and, a, and probably an easier dream to conquer. Uh, it might be just as difficult to get to and, and plan and organise as going to Africa um, in some respects, but um, it's nice and close and it doesn't seem as daunting. Um, have you been over there many times? Um, uh, three or uh, four, four trips to New Zealand now, I think. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, you're 100% right. It's 
you know, my first international hunt was New Zealand, or I think most Aussies would be the same. It's 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 very achievable. You know, you can do it on a quite a reasonable budget. You know, when you can get an airfare return for five six hundred bucks, you know, and it's, you know if if you want to, you can go over there and hunt hunt pro, uh, public dock land, and you know, even if you chop her in, you know, with with two or three guys. Yeah, you can realistically do a hunt over there, you know, sort of fifteen hundred bucks around the mark. Yep. You know, it's not a yep. not a big budget thing. Um, and you know, if you hunt as much for the adventure than for the trophy, well, you know, it's the place to be. It's 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 so hunter friendly. You know, you can remember my first hunt over there. We, you know, we're walking down the street of this town. We've been in the hills for four days, and we're walking down the main street in camouflage with this Kiwi fella and. I'm sort of, you know, hiding at the back a bit and everyone's yeah. just asking, oh, how'd you go, boys? What'd you shoot? You know? Yeah, no um, one cares. Yeah. No, they just love it, you know, even in the airport. We were in a tourist town um, on our last trip and we, well, I say tourist town, we flew into Christchurch and we um, drove up to Hanmer Springs, which is a bit of a touristy, yep. um, you know, ski resorty looking town. You know, nice cobbled, covered, um, you know, um, benches and stone walls and things like that. And there, the day before we hopped, or the day we were hopping on the chopper, the first stop was the local bakery in Hanmer. And uh, yeah, there were seven of us sitting along this wall in the middle of town having coffees and uh, venison pies, I think it was, in the main street. And there were, you know, tourists walking past in their, you know, their Prada handbags and bits. But no one cares. Nah. It's not even. And I And I used to say, you know, you know the average the average cow cocky over there. You know doesn't mind going hunting. If he's got to buy a jacket for work, it's going to be multi-purpose. He's going to be taking it hunting as well. So half of them yep. are going to be camo. It's got yeah, nothing yeah. to do with the fact that they're off hunting today. It's just that you know multi-purpose. It makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah and the culture's cool. fantastic because of it. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I love it. No, they've got a fantastic culture over there of hunting, and not only that, but eating what they hunt as well. You know they. They're really big into, you know, I go there and, you know, we end up eating wild pork and eating. They mind their pork. No, that's right. They, and they love their pig hunting and doesn't matter what it is, they'll eat it, you know. And they, um, in a lot of respects, as an Aussie, I think you go over there and you you feel like a bit of a pretender because they're, they're such hardcore hunters, you know. They'll go and sleep in, sleep in a rock bivy, which is just a hole under a rock, you know, <laughs> like, well, us Aussies are a bit soft, I think. Um, Even the yeah, carryouts that you see him doing, you know. Yeah. You think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a crack at that. Jeez, this fellow's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and it's crazy, especially as you know, you get up some of those alpine species. You know that that country's just crazy. You know, it's pretty serious undertaking. Um, especially you know, for a guy like me, I'm you know, I'm no mountain goat. I'm, I'm unfit and overweight and you know it's everybody steps hard work and uh you can never be fit enough for those hunts and um yeah it's 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 serious country but just to be in that country is that you know is the prize in itself you sit on sit on a ridge top just looking around and it's just unbelievable yeah agreed so what have you hunted over there mate um so my first couple of trips were were tar um my first trip was um, just a just a um, public land tar hunt um, with a kiwi fella, and and we just went stayed in a dock hut and just just did it out of the kiwis. Do it pretty much full drove into a hut and uh, 
climbed a bloody long way. It was August and it was, yeah, knee-deep snow. And, like, looking back now, you know, it was the wrong time to go and all this sort of stuff. But it was it was the time I had. And um, as it was, we got four stunning, you know, blue sky days and it was magnificent. And, yeah, I shot, um, I shot my first tar up in there, which was only a young bull. Um, and then two or three days after that, I shot another... Uh, more mature bull, which unfortunately hung up on a bluff, and and we couldn't recover. So um, so that was a bit of a a bit of pill. And then the second tar hunter went back and did we actually um, chop it into the west coast, um, which is yeah, that's some serious country up in there, oh. wild wild country. And uh, where'd you go out of um, where'd you go out of bottom of the south, just above fjord? And yeah. Out of uh, Franz Joseph. Uh, Glass, oh, out of yeah. Franz, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah um, and, yeah, that, that hunt there, we had one day of good weather and then got snowed in. So, um, yeah, me and a mate ended up a couple of days just tent-bound, um, which, yeah, was no fun at all. And, and at that point, yeah, I was done with New Zealand. Like, yeah, I was just physically and mentally just done, you know. I was... After two days in the tent, oh, I'm saying to my mate, that's it, mate. I'm not coming back. I'm done, you know. And uh, and he, he's a fair bit younger than me, so he'll go back and do it again. But at that point, no, nah, I was done. And Anyway, it didn't take long. Only a couple of years later, I went back and, and finally got my good trophy bull tar, you know. So um, I'm glad I did because, yeah, I, I would have given up. But um, And then, yeah, this year was my fourth trip. Um was uh, dedicated to Shami. Um so I went over and hunted with uh, uh, Mike Beeman and uh, and his wife Maddie at um, Real Kiwi Hunting, um, and uh, yeah, I'd sort of met Maddie's a, a local over here in Australia and and uh, met Mike. Um, he travels over to Australia. He's off season doing a bit of shearing, so sort of met him over here and um, teed up a hunt. And uh, he actually, it's kind of funny how it came about. He he walked into my trophy room and sort of. Looked around the walls and he said, oh, you haven't got a chamois? And I said, no, no, I haven't. He goes, oh, you better come over. And anyway, I didn't think too much more of it. And then uh, when the travel bubble opened up this year, I, I get this message from Mike. And, of course, you know, they've been quiet. They've got no American clients or anything. And uh, and he messaged me and says, well, you better come over. You know, the travel bubble's open and SA can come. And, and so I organised this trip with, like, I don't know, two weeks' notice or something organised this trip and away we went and so I had no time to do any training. I was way out of shape even more than normal and and yeah, I knew it was gonna be hard work and then so we flew into uh Queenstown and there was me and a fellow from Tasmania hunting together. And anyway, we were the last two left at the baggage carousel because Qantas had uh, lost all our bags. Um so we got you know in our bags is our you know our sleeping bags, our sleeping mats, our hiker boots, all our camo gear thermals, you know, you name it. So we, we're there wearing a pair of jeans and sneakers. And and anyway, to Mike's credit, yeah, he picked us up and he managed to we run around town burrowing sleeping bags and burrowing mats. And we went into hunting and fishing New Zealand and bought a brand-new pair of boots and a, and a cheap fleecy camo pack and away we went. Cause what, a great, said, what a great store that is, though. <laughs> oh, mate, it's, huh? it's just the cane of hunting, isn't it? How good it's, is it? It's yeah. unreal. Yeah, and everywhere you go in New Zealand – each one of them is slightly different based on yep. its local hunting opportunities or local fishing opportunities. 
if it's trout fishing country, that's what you'll get. And if it's ocean yep. fishing, oh, yeah, it's such a good chain. Oh, yeah. No, I've been to three or four of them now, but the, the, the pretty new one down there in Queenstown that's out near the airport conveniently. <laughs> and so we went in there and, yeah, I don't know, dropped four or 500 bucks each pretty quick. And so hunting chamois in brand new boots is definitely not something I recommend. Um, oh. And more, more <laughs> as you can imagine. But yeah, so my first day was an absolute nightmare. Not only I got brand new boots, but we climbed bloody miles up to the top of this peak and then I proceeded to miss a few shots at uh, out of the first nice buck we'd seen and at fairly long range with a burrowed, burrowed rifle. So, um, yeah, that brought me back down to earth big time. And then luckily um, the next day our luggage arrived, so I was back in my own boots and back in, you know, a little bit of familiarity and actually managed to get a bit of sleep because I was in my own sleeping bag and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, but went out the, the next day and, and um, shot a beautiful um, buck showing me at I think 378 meters which is yeah I'm no long range shooter so Mike was doing the dialing and um yeah I was just pulling the trigger but no well it wasn't quite that easy but um and then shot a shot a nice nanny as well to cap it off so I managed to get the pair which was yeah just just better better than I could have hoped for especially given mm. the short lead time and absolutely no preparation or anything so yeah no did you, any, did you put any on the grill Did you eat any of the chamois? Oh, sorry. Um, a bit of a funny story. We took all the back stakes out of everything. So the, the two I've shot up on the mound, you know, I've, I've caped them out and packed them all in the pack and put all the back stakes and everything in. And then uh, the um, assistant guide who lives um, just out of Queenstown, we've gone back to his place for the night and uh, proceeded to leave all the meat there. And then uh, we ended up ducking up back up north to Fairley um, for our last sort of day and night of the hunt um, back to Mike's place and just clean forgot about all the meat. So this assistant guy, he was grinning because he ended up with bloody esky full of uh, chamois backstakes and everything, but uh, it looked pretty bloody good. But, I've, yeah. You, never, haven't, never tried, you haven't tried chamois yet? No, unfortunately. <laughs> so... I was sort of a bit disappointed because yeah, we we carried it all out and then never got to never got to try it. Anyway, next time maybe. And did you say you borrowed you borrowed a rifle while you were over there? That trip I did. Now I normally always take my own rifle everywhere. Um, that's the only trip ever ever that I've borrowed a rifle, and it was only because because I did it with such short notice and because of COVID and borders were changing on the daily, as as you know, and. Um, yeah. Pretty much up until I was on the plane, I wasn't confident that I was actually going. So I didn't want the added hassle of having a firearm and doing all my permits and all that, just to have it cancelled. So it was easier just to say, no, look, this one, yeah, you know, Mike, I'll just borrow yours. And, um, yeah, just, just to stay the hassle, basically. But but normally, you know, I've, you know, I've taken my own rifles to, to Africa and, and uh, New Zealand and that before, and it's, yeah, it's a bit of paperwork. You would have been touch and go anyway with the new rules around, you know, um, getting the visitor firearms license and things like that. Um, you know, you've you got you got a mandatory. I thought it was I thought it was three weeks uh, prior to to flying in that you had to get your your license paid for, and the same with your yeah. rifles. You know, Australia wants you to have those permits done 
minimum time frames before oh, you can push the limits but it would have just had so much hassle but how'd you get around the new zealand piece because was it did, were you just in the right time frame to be able to get your new zealand firearms permit uh yeah or yeah did you well, forget just, to do that did you tim and just walk <laughs> out of the airport <laughs> no no literally uh i think literally as soon as i booked the trip because it's it's all online now. Actually, they've yeah. streamlined that. It, it's easier than it used to be, that New Zealand. But they added a timeline, the timeline, which was... A yeah, no, it, it was pretty good. So you just did it all online and, and um, yeah, never really had any hassles at all going to New Zealand. They're, bloody, they're so friendly and, you know, even the police over it, I generally end up landing in Christchurch um, and, you know, the... They, they remember your face. You come back a week later and they ask you, hey, I mean, hey, what did you shoot and all this stuff? Well, I'll tell you how relaxed they are. I was on my way back from my uh, my most recent New Zealand hunt and we had a, a crew with us from our ADA branch and we've checked everything in and we're, we're on our way up to get a coffee and through the gates and I get this call. Mr. Ian Hurley, could you please come back to customs? I said, okay, <laughs> something going on here. Yeah, you always love getting that call. Oh, well, you know, get back in there. Hey, um, just come around here, sir. Or I'll have a look at it. Does that look like a round in your rifle? Jeez, uh, I hope not. Look a bit close. I don't know how they could have picked it out because I couldn't see a round in the rifle. Anyway, turns out there's a round in the bottom of the box bag. Um, still in the rifle that went through customs. Now, there's a backstory to that as to why that might have been, something to do with a friend of mine using my rifle, but I didn't check it as it went through. And I knew I was missing around. I figured I dropped it in the bush somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't, for some, whatever reason, didn't check it. But anyway, I thought, man, I'm in trouble. Um, and uh, he's he's had a look at it. He goes, well, he's, he's picked up the round and he said, what do you want to do with this? I said, well, do you have to fill out some paperwork? Do I need to call someone to come and take it out? I said, um, you know, can, do you want to dispose of it? He goes, oh, yeah, I'll just chuck it in the bin. <laughs> oh, are you sure? Yeah, 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 no, don't worry about it, bro. It's all good. And <laughs> off it went. You imagine if he hadn't picked that up when I got into customs in Australia, other than the fact that they are so scared of you having a rifle as you come through customs in Australia that all they want to do is get you the hell out of their airport, they're unlikely to spot it anyway. But you know, if you got if you got picked up with a round in your rifle going through the airport, you'd be you wouldn't be making your flight. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You'd be having a fair questioning. Anyway, that uh, got me the club blooper award, I can tell you. <laughs> no, we, we did have that on that that tar hunt we did on the west coast. We got snowed in actually. We were leaving flying out of Melbourne and my uh my mate here, uh my good mate Miki, I'll drop him in it. He um mm. Got to the airport, checked everything in, and we're going through the baggage scanner. And we've like we always take our hunting packs as, as carry on, scanned it through, and then they've grabbed his bag. Whose bag is this? And he's put the hand up, looking a bit ginger. And anyway, they started rifling through it, and he sort of said, Oh, you know, what are you looking for? Stand back, stand back, you know, just being... is this on the Australian side, yeah, 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 in Melbourne, and um. He's like, well, if you tell me what you're looking for, you know, I might be able to help you. Just stand back, stand back, you know. Anyway, this dude's rifled all through his case and pulled a 308 round out the bottom of his day pack. It had fallen down, you know, the separate section where the water bladder goes. It had fallen mm. down in there. He, he wasn't even using his 308 on this hunt, so I don't know, like it had been in there for, you know, from a previous hunt. Anyway, so 
Miggy says, oh, look, sorry, mate, I didn't know I was in there. You know, you just dispose of it, do whatever you have to do, you know. Oh, no, 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 we need to call the federal police. So anyway, old mate security calls the federal police. So we're standing there for 45 minutes waiting for the feds to turn up. Federal police had to turn up to all this paperwork, give him a formal warning about this round and all this sort of stuff. Um, by this stage, like our plane was, they're calling us over the PA and, Long story short, we ran through customs, ended up walk, running onto the plane as, you know, as everyone's seated and giving us the evil eye and that sort of stuff and uh, very nearly missed the flight. But, yeah, just complete opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum. Yeah. That'll be right, bro. Don't worry about us. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the bin. I was surprised he didn't oh, I'll take that one home or... Oh yes, no, he was more. He was more worried um, when I when he said to me, "Have you got the keys for your gun case?" I said, "No, they're in my other bag. That's already gone. Can you get that back?" Oh, that's too hard. Oh no, what are we going to do? I said, "Mate, just break the locks." Oh, you sure? <laughs> you no, know, mate, it's all right. Just break. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Just break the locks. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just call one of the guys. They'll go up and get me a couple of hundred dollar pair of shitty padlocks from the bookshop. You know, and, and we'll, we'll put them on when we're done. It'll be all right. Oh, okay. No worries. Off he goes. It was so calm. Um, but, man, I was packing yeah, as, yeah. as you would. I'd be – yeah. yeah. And your mate that just ran onto the plane must have had some serious heart palpitations going on about that time. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, when, yeah, when the federal police turned up, he – yeah. And looked up pretty good about oh. it. But um, Yeah, but you've got to wonder. You know, you know, when you go through the customs process when you leave – and you've got to go down into that area. Oh, I don't know what it's like in um, when you're when you're flying out of Melbourne, but in Brisbane, you go down to the bottom level, and you've got to go in an extra hour and a half before yep. your mandatory Same. two hours. So it's almost four hours early, and you get yep. there, and you get called. In, in like there's usually a crew of us going. It's like well, we're not going to take you all through one at a time, and you go into a room, and it's locked from the inside. Mm. Not even the person in there with you can get out. They've got a like hit a code or do something and someone opens the door and they pull the rifle out. It's just the rifle, the bolts and ammo and everything, they're all separate. Is the bolt out, sir? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's out. Like they're just yeah. not used to it. Um, no, nah, that's, and that's it's right. a very bizarre process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you never see the same thing twice because most of them don't know what they're doing. You've got to tell them what to do. And, you know, I've seen just about everything. I've, I've seen, you know, girls on check-in that want, to, want you to take your ammo out of your suitcase so they can put it on the scales and weigh it. And it's like, you, you're not licensed to even touch my ammo, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, the, wor anyway. the worst the worst thing that we had, well, not the worst thing, but the, the most ridiculous thing that we had was on the paperwork where you go out and you're writing down one times you know, Tika T3X rifle with, you know, um, whatever scope, X, you know, the full description, plus yeah. one box, you know, 7 mil rim mag, ammunition, 150, what you know, the full description of what yeah. it is, uh, one box, 20 rounds, whatever. So that's what we did the first time we went over. Uh, we never do that now. We buy rounds in New Zealand because we're just buying factory yeah. rounds. But on the way back, because we'd shot one round, we no longer had one box 20 rounds coming back again. It didn't match the outgoing paperwork, yeah. so they confiscated the 19 rounds. This is no longer a box of 20 rounds, sir. Uh, so the first time I did it, I was oh, taking... I, I went hunting. Um, What's that? 
I always take a case guard of 50 wherever I go generally. Um, and the first time I did it, the, the girl that helped me do the permit, she just said, oh, put on 50 live rounds and 50 empty cases because they use a different customs code for empty cases as they do live cases. Right. But she just put both down on that form. So you've got, yeah, I'm, that might not be, that was 15 years ago, that might still not be, might not work. But, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's why, you know, even, even when the crew goes over, even if they're um, even if they're a group of guys that do their own loads, we highly recommend that they find a factory load that's good enough for what we're doing. Yeah. Because most, yeah. not I won't say most factory loads are good enough for what we're doing. If you're doing some of that high country hunting up in the Alps and you're doing cross gully shooting, could be four five hundred meters. We need to do yeah. some range time with you know barns rounds or yeah. holiday rounds or, or whatever to make sure that you've got one, and then we put an order in at hunting and fishing before we leave and yeah. go and pick yes. them up. Um, and yeah. to that point, those that regularly come with us, we're all shooting seven mil remix because it's now yeah, one yeah. box of them. Um, it just yeah. makes the whole job easier. But yeah, it was it's an interesting experience. Uh, it's about a hundred bucks a box over there now. Well, it's about that here. All oh, right, I've more factory loads here in about well forever. You know, they're, <laughs> they're not they're not cheap. Yeah, well. They're not cheap, but I'm not out there brassing up the neighbourhood with them. Um, ah, you know, exactly. The foxes aren't getting chased around by them. You know, one box could last me two or three years. So yeah, you know, once it's sighted, yeah. then you, you run a sighted from time to time and it's fine. But, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, New Zealand's great. Mark, you haven't been there yet, have you? Look, I have, actually. I, that was oh, yeah. the first places, uh, but I haven't hunted any alpine country. I've, I've, I, I had the opportunity to hunt a, a bit of farmland, but most of my overseas hunting's been in England, and I borrow everything when I go there. I borrow a whole lot, so I, I don't take anything um, other than the – well, actually, no, I don't even cl take clothing. I um, Over the years, I've stayed with relatives. I've, the, my hunting gear stays, stays there, you know. It all stays there. So I just literally get on the plane with, you know, um, what I want to – jeans and boots and get over there and it's all it's sitting there in the cupboard so as long as i don't you know eat too much between trips i'm pretty much right mm. uh, and i'm a lefty too so i i've always borrowed gear so um yeah i've, I've had a real mix and match i um i got invited on a uh a, a true driven pheasant hunt there's actually one of the guys we're going to have on in a couple of weeks was the guy who organised it. It was for a film shoot, and yeah, uh, sure. at the time he was doing um, he was doing uh, the media work for one of the the, the big shotgun com uh, companies over there, and um, so I borrowed this something like a twenty five thousand euro shotgun for the day, and it was a um, it was a right handed and it beat the hell out of me all day. But I I was so happy to shoot the thing. It just smashed the hell out of me, Pete. You know, I thought, oh, it was I'm a high class bruiser. Yeah. That's right. That's it. You know, it beat me up, but it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was high class end. That's for sure. And um, and we were shooting high fez, and so I wasn't hitting anything anyway. So I was just throwing lead up. I'm <laughs> having a great old time, and um, went on a deer hunt, a couple of deer hunts, just borrowed rifles, a um, couple of other wing shoots. You know, one of the best ones was a what they call a rough shoot, which is basically you just walk around a farm. And yeah. uh, we were using auto loaders that day and using Remington auto loaders. That was great fun. I kept everything I shot, got three shots in it though. Um, 
It's been so long since we used a highlighter. I can't. I got it. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, we got it. And um, and another another we did another shoot which was a um, uh, what was a was really a cross between which probably was the most enjoyable was a driven hunt but on a farm and it was run by. Well, the farmer was there, but it was run by a, a, a syndicate who ran on that farm. So you went from paddock to paddock to paddock, and you went back, and you know you had tea and 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 cake in the tractor shed. And I actually was part of a um, the yielded shotgun range. We were doing a review on them. Yep. So I I got uh, given a very I got a lefty that day. That was really nice. So um that was you know that was a lovely shotgun to borrow, and I shot that all day and um. When I was shooting the deer, mostly we were shooting with colours. So we would go out with the coal crew and we just use their gear and, and they shoot completely differently. They shoot off sticks. They shoot with yeah. suppressors. Um, they don't have anything less than a 50 mil front objective on their scope. You know, that's yeah. that's bait. that's where it starts. Um, so, and mostly, you know, quarter cows and uh, all the 260s and stuff like around that. So... It was a very different. And when I shot the Munt Jack, I was using a Borrow 270 with a suppressor. And I also did a, a review for Remington while I was over there, which was um, was suppressed. Um, it was a very nice rifle too. So I'd, I've always just borrowed gear. Yeah. Well, especially I think for England, they're, they're pretty strict on it, aren't they? So yeah, it's just so much easier, yeah. Yeah. So what, what area were you hunting deer there? So I've hunted a fair chunk of England. I, I was thinking about it not so long ago. So I've hunted uh, deer up in in well in York around in in well, in Yorkshire uh, outside of York, and I've had a hunted deer in the Midlands uh, around a place called Peterborough. So I've hunted in two different locations. Around York was uh, fallow deer, uh, yeah. and the the deer around Peterborough was specifically after. Um, Muntjac, and I've also hunted fallow down the south as well, below, oh, kind of just below London, um, but a little, little over to the east, we had, that was a fallow block as well. Um, but the place at, where we hunted the Muntjac, across the road was a red deer farm, a proper farm. Mm. Where they were breeding, yeah. yeah, breeding them just like livestock. And yep. over the next valley was the was one of the the best seeker uh, herds in the country, and they were semi free range because everything over there is kind of fenced because it's you know the, this, just what you're dealing with. But it was a was yep. classed as a free range. But the day I shot, well, I shot two muntjac on my trip, and the first one I shot was just after dawn. The the doe came out and the, and the buck followed him followed across and I shot the buck in the open, nearly stuffed it all up, shooting off sticks. So I had this 270 on these sticks and they, it's those, they're not like a, a tripod, they're actually a four-point stick. They've got that, uh, so they're like, they can lever out. Yep, yep. Really awkward thing because the guy was, you know, it was, it was quite low, so I had to kind of get right down to get into it. And they shoot with... Um, Round in on safety on. Yeah, yep. 
So the first thing I do is I, you know, ejected the round. I go, it's time to shoot, crank it. <laughs> Out goes the barns, and they go, what are you doing? I'm going, bang, and hit this little munty, and he goes down. And as we walk out to him, it's you know the light's just coming on, so you can't see too much. But we had a good clear view of him. As the light comes up down this gut, or not gully, this row, this row between two trees, down the bottom is this red that's escaped from the, the red farm, and he's basically like got two tree trunks sticking out of his head. I go, can I shoot that? And they said, no, you can't shoot that. Uh, Man, it was a beast of an animal. And um, so yeah, and then in the and later on the day got a little another little munty, um, and I actually just gave one of the skulls to one of my I got a, you know Helen's my wife's family's over there and one of the young nephews he was uh, he's interested so and the skulls are still sitting over there so I um yep. I gifted him one of them so he's very excited because they got the little fangs you know they're a weird little yeah. creature with mm-hmm. fangs. The fellow deer were shot on a um. Uh, on a, what do they call it? Basically, an estate, um, a historic estate that had been given a, a national trust, is the term. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The national trust. So these guys were going on and, and basically thinning out deer numbers. And it had been an estate where they, they'd had traditionally hunting. So there was disre- in disrepair, but they had all the pheasant pens. And the breeding pens yeah. in, in, in the tree line, they actually were in the yeah. tree line. But that was the first time I ever seen anyone use thermals. So they use thermal all the time. And uh, yeah, so we were hunting around in there with these, with with, uh, with the after fallow and shot, well, I shot a fallow and it, like like here, you know, I shot a deer and I went, oh, I got it. And he goes, what are you doing? And what do you mean? He goes, keep shooting them, you know, <laughs> keep shooting them. And numbers right. going. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and then we, because um, they sell them for meat, you know, you can actually, yeah. you then, you, we didn't actually uh, pay to hunt. We were, we were invited on, but generally you pay to hunt and then you pay for the meat. Yeah. Yep. The meat. So we actually. Well, they them. do an accreditation where they can sell it, don't they? Yeah. Mm. So yeah. it goes to, it kind of, it, it, it's kind of like going to the chiller here, kind of. Bit more, bit more, bit a couple of levels up in terms of processing, but it's the idea. It goes to a, to a, a wholesaler who then can sell it on. Yep. So there's a lot of. So then, of course, with that being that, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of requirements for them to be able to track that meat. So it's not, it's, yeah. it's not like you know, you, well, you can't do it much anymore. I'm assuming, but I can remember a younger guy turning up to the the chillers with a bunch of pigs and they just giving us money from type thing. Yeah, yeah, right, yep. No, it's on my horizon. I've got family in Oxford. Um, yep. So my, my dad's from down there. He moved over here when he was oh, 6, 15, 16 or something like that. So still, yeah, been over there a couple of times and ne- never sort of hunting. And I've got um, yeah, family down there that are involved and, um, you know, cousins and uncles and aunties and that sort of stuff. So, uh, and then I've got uh, a mate in London as well who, who hunts and's got private leases and that sort of stuff. And he sort of got invites. I've just got to get over there. But yeah, once again, just the time. But yeah, I'd love to, you know, to go and hunt a, a roebuck and a, a mudjack, and um, that'd be pretty cool, I reckon. Mm. I, I, we usually go at Christmas time, so I'm never there for a, a month 
uh, sorry, roe That's they're yeah. always on season when we go, but everything else is on season. So you know, I've seen, I've seen glimpses of Chinese water deer. Never seen one with a rifle on the hand, but I've seen glimpses of Chinese water deer. Seen plenty of fallow. Seen plenty of red. Haven't seen any seeker, and of course muntjac. Um, so I mean, the deer, but it's it's very different there. It's compressed. It's it in a way. Mm. It, it's almost the complete opposite to hound hunting. Yeah. It's all about that hunt. You know, you go out, you hunt, and then you come back type thing. There's, it, there, isn't, yeah. there isn't that kind of that network around it. So, you know, often like if you go out with a guide there, you'll go out like two to three hours in the morning and two to three hours in the afternoon, and that's it. Yeah. And they'll actually kind of say, oh, it's 75 pounds for the morning and 75 pounds yeah. for the evening. Yeah. And, um, and and then the trophy fees and they tend to measure things in you know bronze silver gold class trophies yeah 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 it's it's very it's very it's very uh segmented very regulated as opposed yeah, yeah. you know to, to kind of what we do which is you know at times just you know no regulation at all really yeah a bit open slather yeah but, uh, no one day mate one day for sure yeah, look, I, I mean, I enjoy the deer hunting in England and I certainly enjoyed getting the munjack, but for me it was the, the wing shooting, you know, just yeah. the various types of wing shooting. That was uh, that, that was always the most enjoyable and I, I kind of missed that because we, we would be there now. We would be there now. Or, well, we'd be getting ready to go. Yeah, there. Right. We, used to go we used to go in early December, so we would be getting ready to go now. So, you know, we, we, we'd be – tickets would be booked a whole lot. We'd be ready to go, so – so with where where to next for you? I mean, uh, do you have the interest in the North America and all that stuff, or is that not yeah. your cup of tea? No, I definitely do. Um, I was my grand master plan was always going to be to go in in twenty twenty and uh, some buggy uh, twenty twenty and hunt uh, moose and elk. That's sort of mm. my next big bucket list thing is is moose and elk. Um, so, yeah, I was going to do that in 2020, but then I got my arm twisted instead to go back to Africa and do Cape Buffalo. So it wasn't a bad sort of substitute, but as it turns out, we ended up doing neither. So, um, but, yeah, so hopefully once we get this, I think this next Africa trip, like, it's definitely not going to be the last one, but it'll be the last one for, for a while, I would say. Um, I've got I've got a fair few species over there now, and, most of the ones I sort of really want, you know, there's, there's always more, but, um, yeah, that, that'll be my next big focus will be, you know, at this stage I'm sort of looking at British Columbia. Um, yeah, sort of, um, and, you know, the, the, the moose and elk season only just overlap. You know, you've, I think you've got about a five-day window where they overlap, so you sort of got to hunt one then the other. Um, but, yeah, it can be done, but it's a bit of a tight window and, Obviously not a cheap hunt. I think it'll be a it'll be a sort of hunt of a lifetime type thing for me. But um, yeah, and then obviously I'd I'd love to get down you know south in in the USA as well and hunt um, you know white tail mule deer. Um, definitely uh, you know pronghorn antelope. Um, all that sort of stuff really appeals. So um, yeah, I think that'll be the next big big thing. You know, once we tick off a couple more. Um, species in Africa, go and get this cup off, you know, go and finish your unfinished business there and then, um, yeah, that, that'll be the next big focus, I think. And you tend to, you're, um, you're not chasing predators at all? 
haven't heard you once talk about bears, wolves, uh, big cats, <laughs> any of those sorts of things. It's not your cup of tea. No, it's a good pickup actually because I've I've got no interest in. I don't know why. I just I think I'm just an antlers and horns sort of guy. But um, I get it. I was 100% the same, but, you know, I was listening to a thing the other day and they were saying, yeah, you go and get your, you can go and get your elk tag and your moose tag and for an extra 10 bucks you can have a wolf and a black bear. Yeah. Like, oh. So <laughs> that tells me that they're in problem numbers and I would never have considered it before, but yeah. um, it made me start to think about it. And I've not that I've ever been. Actually, I've never really been interested in hunting Africa. I don't know why. Just I've always been focused on, you know, um, going to going to Alaska or Canada or somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, and I'll probably get the bug later on. But um, leopards has have always fascinated me. How cunning they are, and how yeah. vindictive they are, and how nasty they can be, and just adding that extra layer of you know, I don't know, something to to being yeah. the prey and the hunter at the same time. Um, oh, for sure. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But, you know, you, you certainly didn't have any mention of, of predators, so I thought that was a bit of an interesting thing. No, and look, I'm the sort of guy that I never say never. Um, look, at this stage, you know, to go and hunt a bear or, or cats or whatever just doesn't interest me. But, like I said, never say never because – a lot of more experienced guys than me have told me, you know, it's not until you go and, you know, you go for an elk hunt, for, for example, and you're hunting amongst the grizzly bears, you know, that sort of stuff. And they'll say, it's not until you're there hunting in their country and you see them that you start to understand why people want to hunt them. So it's sort of, mm -hmm. for me, like I said, you never say never, but, you know, you pick up these experiences along the way. and It's not your draw you know, card. No, no, but yeah, you know, so I can remember I know guys that all they wanted to do is go to Africa and shoot baboons, you know, and and the you know, I can remember sitting on a hillside and this troop of baboons come over and there's this big male in there and we were stalking waterbark at the time and the guide sort of, you know, shoot that baboon, shoot, shoot. No, no, you know, passed up and he for the, about the next half hour he wouldn't talk to me. He's just sitting there like this. And um, I was, had no interest. And then, you know, it wasn't until later on we had some baboons completely ruin a stalk on a kudu that we'd put a fair bit of time and effort into. And, and I went away and I thought, yeah, now I understand, you know. You give it a shotgun. They're a pain in the ass, you know. Um, but there's guys, that's all they want to do is go and shoot them. But, you know, we're all, we're all different and um, whatever. No, nah, for me, it's it's the stuff with antlers and stuff with horns. Yeah, I, I look. I, I've I've always been more drawn to that idea of Alaska and and, and you know that I just think because I you know oh, I'm always hot, so I don't want to go hunting where it's hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if I want if I want to go to hot, I can go and go anywhere. You know, oh, got, hang on, you mate. Options, you, you go and hunt the pilliger in summer, Mark. I don't, That's I don't right. Well, that's what I mean. If I want hot, I just go down the road. You know, I don't, I don't need to go <laughs> yeah. to Africa. I got hot. I got hot all around me, so you know, I don't need to do that. But that idea of going to that wholly different climate and all that stuff is what really yeah. appeals to me. I mean, when you see those guys like those, um, you know, when they do those, uh, the the float. They yep. basically raft down a river for weeks on end, 
and they just hunt off the raft and float off that looks like that looks like something you know that's that's out of worldly all for a start the fact there's all yeah. that water you know there's just yep. that abundance of water and that's that's what really blew me away about the first time i went to new zealand mm. you know the abundance of water you know i remember we were uh, we're uh, we're, uh, we're actually we are heading to Rotorua and we stopped along somewhere and it was, and it was just this glacial, you know, water just spewing out. And I just went, you know. Hooker Falls. That's it. I said, look at that. Go, you know, that that you require a monsoon for the dam to look like that. And here it is just, you know, normal shooting out. All day, so that, every day. That whole, yeah. that whole yeah. concept, you know, going somewhere it's colder and, it, and there's water and it's just different green and all that stuff really appeals to me. Yeah, look, I... I think the more I get around that, the more I realise that for me, yeah, hunting is as much as like seeing these different places and, you know, mm-hmm. travelling to different places. And, and it's about the people too. Like, you know, I'll, I'll do a solo hunt, but I'm, I pretty quickly work out I don't like my own company. So, I, you know, I can last a night or two maybe. But by the second night, I'm sort of sitting there thinking, oh, you're not real good company, Tim. Like, come on. And, yeah. uh, and so for me, it's all about my mates, you know, it's all about, you know, and I can be, I can be in camp with my mates and even if I don't even get my gun out of the case, if one of them shoots something, you know, I'm just as excited as if I've shot something, you know, it's, and it's, and travelling with your mates and that sort of stuff, to me, that's, that's what it's really all about for me, you know, I get more out of that than, than shooting a big trophy, that's for sure, you know, that's, yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I regard England's hunting as so good because, you know, the hunting itself is it, it's good, but it's not like, you know, it's not like that world class. But the fact that, you know, um, if you've ever been to a true driven hunt, you know, and even I felt a bit uncomfortable because there's, there's you know, there's pickers. There's people who basically pick up the birds after you shoot them and there's, there's yeah. all etiquette and all. I mean, I had to borrow clothes to go on this hunt and I didn't, I weren't borrowing cam, I was borrowing tweeds you know and yeah <laughs> and a flat hat and all that stuff and which that's that's why it stays there I mean, there's nowhere else in the world I can <laughs> so but the, the fact that you know you're part of this and like you know the the way the breakfast happens before and the and the, and the dinner after and all that stuff that that was just it was a lived experience rather than just something that you know that just happened and uh that was really quite like the amount of you know the amount of grog that you drink on a day's driven hunt. <laughs> every every after every shoot, that it's hot toddy time, you know, and the, the wagon pulls <laughs> up. And so <laughs> off you go. You know? <laughs> and that's, that's through the day, and you're just kind of, you know, and then you get to the end where they they have the big banquet table type thing. So. Yeah. It was really quite amazing. So just being part of that, and then the the, the other version was when we we're on the when the farm, and you know, and everyone comes back to the tractor shed for ten o'clock tea and cakes, you know, and they, 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 the little tin cake come out, you know, and they're having cakes, and there's a little ball of tea there, and just being part of that is really, you know, that that's that wonderful thing. I think that hunting's brought so many people together but but the fact that you have you meet all these different people from all works walks of life but you're all doing the same thing oh for sure and and that's where um social media is so good now that you know you'd be the same you you have all these facebook friends or whatever or you know 
I've got these messenger groups with mates from all around the world that we've been on hunts with and, and you know, you'd just be on there stirring each other up, you know, talking talking garbage and, and um, you know, and it just adds to the fun of the hunt. You know, you're planning your next hunt. And, how many, know, about, how many of those and, groups, how many of those groups have you met and you've been on that amazing hunt, on that amazing trip and you've all said, we should do this every year? <laughs> there's got to yeah, be a heap a few. of them. There's got to be a heap yeah. of them, but you never get to it. Uh, hey, we've ticked there's over two hours, so I reckon we'll 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 probably call it. Um, yeah. Uh, Mark asked me the uh, asked the last question that I had on my list, which was um, other than your next African trip coming up, what's on the bucket list? So you you covered that off pretty well. I'll be be interested to see how you go chasing black bear and wolves uh, for your extra ten dollar <laughs> ticket. Uh, I'll keep an eye on uh, on my my latest um, Facebook liked page uh, and Insta account to see how you go with that. Once you get there, you got a bit of time between now and then, I guess. Um, yeah, but no, it's been it's, yeah, it's been awesome, man. It's been a, a great conversation. Uh, SA to Africa to New Zealand and Northern Territory, and man, you've done some stuff. So uh, a lot of memories packed into there, and it's it's great to share them with. Um, with the community of people that are that are listening into this podcast, so thanks very much. Nah, cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, all the best and, and good hunting to you guys, and, and good hunting to all the guys out there as well. You know, stay safe, have fun. Yep, and Ian said the best, mate. Thanks, thanks for you, you know, coming on and, and sharing your stories with us. It's, it has been really enlightening, and uh, it's great to hear that how much you've packed into it and, and how you've, you've, you jump at the opportunities. I think for a lot of people, they're worried about how to start or what to do. And I, I'm going just do it type thing is it's often said, but you're pretty much a living example of let's do it. Hmm. Yeah. I look a hundred percent, mate. I, I think, you know, we, we all know that guy who, you know, had a heart attack and died at 45 and left behind a young family and then that sort of stuff. You know, we, we all know someone like that. You never know. So if you get an opportunity, go and do it. Don't matter how small an opportunity is. If it's you know, if you can do it without bankrupting yourself or divorcing yourself, <laughs> go and do it. So get yeah. it done. Grab it with both hands. Mate, again, thanks very much for your time. It's really it's really great. Anytime, guys. Happy to talk, honey. Righto. Cheers, Tim.